Join me in prayer, if you will. Lord, it is a joy to worship you today, and wow, thank you for giving us everything that we need in Jesus. Thank you for the life that we have, for the hope that we have. Thank you for the grace that is ours in Christ, the standing we now possess. Thank you, God, for all of your material provisions and how you have provided for our needs and sustained us. And we are a blessed people. And we thank you, God, that we have the privilege of knowing you and worshiping you and following you all the days of our lives and in glory, that we will continue worshiping you and following you, to see in person your greatness. Now, this morning, we pray that you would work by the means of your spirit through your word to encourage our hearts, to challenge us, to fill us, and to grow us into your likeness. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I want to welcome you to uh, the first year of the service, um, to at least at this year, 2023. It's going to take you a while to get that written correctly on your checkbooks, but that's all right. also want to welcome those who are in the overflow. Thank you for um, making room in here for us, and also those who are at home uh, on the live stream. I'm just glad to have you join us. Life is really all about change. You know that. You've experienced that. None of us are where we were 12 years ago. None of us are where we were a year ago. So as we look forward to this year, we can anticipate that there will be a lot of changes. Some of these changes that we experience are going to bring joy There's going to be weddings and babies born and promotions at work and first steps, and those are joyful. However, other changes will bring sorrow. Some of you will experience what it's like to lose a loved one this year. Some of you will experience the change of uh, perhaps a, a child graduating Uh, high school. Some of you will experience the change of a child entering kindergarten. A lot of changes. But all of these changes give us an opportunity to grow and to deepen in our walk with God. The process of change for the Christian is called sanctification. Sanctification is simply the process of God's Spirit working in our inner person to conform us to the image of Christ. It is God conforming us practically to who we are in Christ positionally. This begins at salvation and it continues all throughout our lives as believers until death. And everything that we experience in between those two markers, whether it's easy or hard, whether it's painful or pleasant, it's all intended to facilitate spiritual change. So there's several things that I'm praying this year, praying for me, praying for you, 
that we will experience change in these following 10 ways. I'm just going to give them to you fairly quickly. I'm praying first for an increased love for Christ. We need that. We need to love him more. We just sung about that. To know him more, to love him more. Second, I'm praying for an increased dependence on God. You know, some of you, many of you, most of you are so incredibly capable. In fact, you're so capable that when it comes to depending on God, it becomes really hard because you've got the resources, you can just make it happen. But I'm praying for an increased dependence on God. Third, I'm praying for an increased passion for holiness. Not just a heart that says, God, I want to know you more, but a heart that says, God, I want to know you more, and in knowing you more, I want to be more like you. I want my life to reflect your life, an increased passion for holiness. Fourth, I'm praying for an increased sensitivity to God's Spirit. An increased sensitivity to God's Spirit. That is, when I grieve the Holy Spirit, I want to sense that and quickly make it right. I want to be able to follow the leading of God's Spirit. I want to be able to experience God's Spirit bearing witness with my spirit that I'm God's child. An increased sensitivity to His Spirit. Fifth, I'm praying for an increased desire to obey God. Not a legalistic checking off the boxes in order to meet some perceived requirement. No, I'm praying that we would experience an increased desire, heart desire, to obey Him, to follow Him more fully. Sixth, I'm praying for an increased hatred for sin. That we would not only love the things that God loves, but we would hate the things that God hates. And that when we see temptation in our lives, that we would so hate what that temptation offers that we would flee from it. I'm praying seventh for an increased understanding of Scripture. To be able to know Scripture better because in the Scriptures we come to know God better. I want to know Scripture. I want to understand Scripture. And I'm praying that God would do that. Eighth, I'm praying for an increased discernment of truth. You see, in knowing Scripture, we come to know the truth, but there's the need for us to be able to discern truth and error as we go through life. I'm praying that God would give us an increased discernment of truth. Nine, I'm praying for an increased love for others. I'm praying that God would break us out of a self-centered lifestyle, a self-centered focus, and that we would use our time and our gifts and our resources to bless others and, and out of love serve others. I'm praying that God would do this work in our hearts. And related to that, number 10, I'm praying for an increased burden for the lost, an increased concern and compassion and burden that those without Christ would come to know Him. So on a personal level, I'm praying that we all experience significant personal change this year to make us more like Jesus Christ. 
But besides experiencing change on a personal level, I know that 2023 will include some significant changes for us on the corporate level as a church. Later this month, work is going to begin to expand our parking lot to the north and to the west. On Thursday of this week, a video link was sent out to everyone who receives the Seaside News emails. And in that video, on behalf of the leadership team, I asked you as the church to pray about what God might have you give toward this project. By the way, if you didn't get that link, um, you can kind of stop whatever you're doing right now, take out your phone, email the church, ask for it. It's only about a five-minute long uh, link. And if you received it but didn't watch it, I urge you, please watch it. In that video, we talked about the total cost of the parking expansion to be uh, around $800,000. And I mentioned the good news is that we as a church already have uh, over $500,000 to go to that project. But what this means is that we still need $300,000 to completely fund uh, our parking expansion. So one of the changes that we are going to experience this year is to experience some shared sacrifice from all of us to fund the parking expansion. Another change this year will be our transition to two services. This is actually why we are expanding our parking capacity. Once the parking lot is complete, then we'll be able to add a second service. Why are we doing this? Because I'm really not excited about two services, and most of you are not either. So why are we doing this? Well, simply put, we have maximized the available space in this facility. And in order for us to fulfill our mission of making disciples, we have to make more room. And we can't build additional space right now, so going to two services is our only solution. And in order for that to happen, we have to build the parking lot. But this is going to bring a lot of change. It's going to require that everyone pull on the rope and make investment. There's the investment of your service, as many of you are going to step up and take on new responsibilities. You're sort of going to drift or move from being someone who is just a, an attender to our Sunday worship gathering to somebody who actually gives back during our worship gatherings. But there's also the investment of your resources. But I'm confident that if everyone gets involved, not only will we end up making more room to fulfill our mission here at Countryside, but we will all experience the blessing that comes with having a significant role in that mission. So there's going to be some significant changes this year. There's going to be changes in our lives personally as God takes us through experiences that will grow us spiritually and conform us to the image of Christ. And there will be changes in our church corporately as we stretch and expand to make more room so we can fulfill our mission of making disciples. But in light of all of this change, what I want to talk about this morning are some things that, frankly, will not change the heart of our church, what really makes us the church that we are, is our core values. These values derived from Scripture identify our priorities as 
a church. And there's seven of these core values, and these values will not change. So what are they? Well, the first unchanging core value is the glory of God. The glory of God. You see, the glory of God is why the church even exists. You see, fundamentally, the church is not here for the community. It's not even here for me or you. The church exists for God and His glory. You see, according to Scripture, God intends for His glory to be seen in His church. So the church, if you think of it this way, the church sort of functions as a mirror that's intended to reflect the glorious character of God. Psalm 19 shows us how God's glory is displayed to the world through creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. You just have to go outside and look around at what God has made and you see something of His glory. But the church, as the new creation, is also intended to display God's glory to the world. What this means is that we are to accurately reflect Him in everything we do. That's why Paul said in Ephesians 3, verse 21, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The fact is, you and I have been saved for the praise of God's glory. Ephesians 1, verses 11 and 12 say, In Him, that is in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. How? How did we obtain this inheritance? Having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Why? Why did He do that? Notice this. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In other words, Paul said, God did all of that for us so that we would be to the praise of His glory. So why have we been saved? It's not just so that we can go to heaven when we die, although that is a result of our salvation. And it's not just so that we can have a better life now. Uh, The result of our salvation is that we have God's Spirit and we can go through life with a power greater than ourselves. No, we have been redeemed primarily to know and to worship God by giving Him the glory He deserves as God. This is our purpose. And it will continue to be our purpose throughout eternity. In fact, in Revelation 4, John sees the 24 elders falling on their faces before the throne of God, and he hears them saying this, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. And so this priority, the glory of God, is a core value of the church. And that won't change because this is why we exist. A second unchanging core value of our church is the Word of God. The Word of God. See, the Bible is a core value for our church because the Bible tells us everything God wants us to know about Him and about His purpose for our lives. And because Scripture is God's own revelation of Himself, 
biblical exposition is a priority for our church, and it has a central role in all of our ministries. Biblical exposition is simply declaring what the Bible says, explaining what the Bible means, and then showing how the Bible applies. That's why during our worship gathering on Sunday, we work through books of the Bible, verse by verse by verse. You see, the Word of God helps us to know God, and it gives us God's directive, directives for our lives. But the Word of God also equips us to do the work God intends for us to do. It guides us to do God's work, God's way, ensuring that God is glorified. So a church can't merely say that it believes God's Word. A church has to be devoted to it. And that devotion is expressed by boldly declaring it, by accurately teaching it, and by practically applying it. That's why in 1 Timothy 4, Paul urged Timothy, until I come, devote yourself to what? To the public reading of Scripture and to exhortation and to teaching. So God's Word must be read, it must be explained, and it must be applied publicly in the church. In 2 Timothy, Paul charged Timothy in verse 2 to preach the Word. He charged him to be ready in season and out of season, and he charged him to reprove and to rebuke and to exhort with complete patience and teaching. Why? Because in verse 3, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. That time is now. However, because the Word of God is one of our core values, it will always be at the heart of everything that we do as a church, and that won't change. There's a third unchanging core value of our church, and that is the Son of God. See, Jesus Christ is, and he will always be, the head of the church. Paul said in Ephesians 1, and he, that is the Father, put all things under his feet, that is Christ, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. But Jesus is not just the head of the church. According to Ephesians 5.23, he's also the Savior It says that Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior, its deliverer, its rescuer. And as the head of and savior of the church, Jesus Christ alone is to have the preeminence. Colossians 1.18 pulls these ideas together and states, referring to Jesus, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might have the preeminence. What does it mean for Christ to be preeminent? It simply means that nothing is elevated above him. It means that our desires and our goals and our ambitions and our plans are all subject to him. You see, we don't come up with an agenda and ask the Lord to sort of put his stamp of approval on it. No, we submit to his lordship in everything so that we are under his sovereign rule. 
So as a church, we'll always seek to be Christ-centered in what we do. We will be Christ-centered in our worship. We will be Christ-centered in our fellowship with one another. And we will be Christ-centered in our ministries within the body. Even the fact that we observe communion weekly is intended to be a visible reminder to us that Jesus Christ is now and forever will be preeminent in His church. And that won't change. There's a fourth unchanging core value of our church, and that is the Spirit of God. You see, everything that we do as believers individually and everything that we do as a church corporately is dependent on the Holy Spirit of God. See, we are a church because the Holy Spirit has regenerated us, has given us life. Paul wrote in Titus 3, 5 that he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit regenerated us, making us God's children, making us new creations in Christ, and bringing us into his body. We're a church because the Holy Spirit has placed us in the body of Christ Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for in one spirit we were all baptized or placed into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and were made to drink of one spirit. We are a church because the Spirit of God indwells us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. We belong to God because He redeemed us and the Holy Spirit has placed us into His body and indwelt us. And because He indwells us, it's the Holy Spirit who works within us to conform us to the image of Christ. That's what Paul affirmed in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, notice this, that we are being transformed into the same image, the image of Christ, from one degree of glory to another, for this comes not by what we do, but it comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us in our walk with Christ. That's why Paul said, Romans 8, 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And the primary way that the Holy Spirit leads us is through the Word of God. He leads us into truth so that our life will be consistent with His will. That's why we're instructed to walk by the Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit enables us with the spiritual strength that we need to be able to live for God. In Ephesians 3, Paul prayed that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. So we are dependent upon the Spirit of God to use His Word to bring about the changes that are needed to conform us to the image of Christ. And that will never change. There's a fifth unchanging core value of our church, and that is the people of God. The people of God. Listen, people are a priority because Jesus died for people. He didn't die for an idea. He died for people. So we want to reach people and then disciple people toward Christ-likeness. Did you know that God has chosen to use the church as the primary means for how 
those who become believers are conformed to the image of Christ. And he uses each member of the body to accomplish this purpose. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 4, 11-13. says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. Why? To equip the saints. Who are the saints? Well, that's believers in Christ. Those who have been set apart and made holy by the blood of Christ. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. What does this accomplish? For the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, in a nutshell, what Paul's saying here is that Jesus gives spiritual leaders to the church to equip the people of God. And the people of God who are being equipped are then able to minister to the body. And as the body is ministered to, it is built up and it grows to be like Christ. So what this indicates is that people in the body are not a commodity to be used, but rather a priority to build. What I mean by that is that we as leaders in the church don't look out at the body and say, okay, here's our resources, what do we want to do? We're not looking to see what things you can do or what we can use you to do. No, we don't use people to get things done. We build people in order to get people done. People are a core value. People in the body are to minister to one another. That's why we are instructed to love one another and to serve one another and to build up one another and exhort one another and encourage one another and admonish one another and to help one another and to comfort one another. You see, the spiritual health of the body is dependent on all the members of the body faithfully ministering to one another. What this means is that every member serving this way is essential for the body to function the way God intends. So if you're part of this church, it is simply because God placed you here. And if God placed you here, it means he has a purpose for you being here, right? And that's not just to attend and listen to a sermon every Sunday. No, people are a core value of our church, and that will not change. There's a sixth core value of the church, and that's the gospel of God. The gospel of God. Romans 1.16 describes the gospel as the power of God for salvation. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile or to the Greek. So the gospel is our message to the world. It's the good news that we declare this is what we proclaim so that sinners can be reconciled to God. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.16, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. But the gospel is not just the message for how sinners are saved. It is actually central to how we as believers live. You see, it's the gospel that assures us that our sin debt has been settled and that we are forgiven. It's the gospel that assures us that we have a standing before God that is righteous. 
It's the Gospel that assures us of God's unfailing and unchanging love. You see, it's the good news of the Gospel of grace that keeps us from trying to perform before God to get Him to like us. Because of the Gospel, we know that God intimately and unconditionally loves us. And so a core value of our church is to not only proclaim the Gospel, but to live in light of the Gospel we proclaim. So the Gospel's our message. And that message will never change. This leads to a seventh unchanging core value of the church, and that is the mission of God. The mission of God. The mission of God refers to what God intends for us as the church to do. You see, through this mission, God glorifies Himself by saving people from every tribe and every tongue and every people and every nation. Matthew 28 Verses 19 and 20 says this, And Jesus came and said to them, that's those who were gathered waiting for Him in Galilee, Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is our mission. This is what we have been left on earth to do. It's why when you got saved, God didn't automatically just take you to heaven so you could worship Him forever. Now He left us here to accomplish His mission. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So His authority is the strength of our mission. It has the sovereign authority of Jesus Christ behind it. You see, Jesus possesses all authority over absolutely everything. He has authority over the universe, which means that no disaster can ever thwart our mission. Jesus has authority over bacteria and viruses and germs, which means that no disease can ever kill our mission. Jesus has authority over nations and over governments and over courts, which means that no legislative action can ever shut down our mission. Jesus has authority over every industry and over every business and over every economy, which means that no financial crisis can ever stop our mission. Jesus has authority over every person, which means no individual can ever defeat our mission. And Jesus has authority over Satan, which means that no spiritual force can ever terminate our mission. So our mission is based on the authority of Christ. But what specifically is that mission? Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. And then in verse 19, he says, now go and make disciples of all nations. See, we're not charged with making pagans religious. We're not charged with making poor people rich. We're not charged with making sick people well. We're not charged with making Republicans or making Democrats or making moral citizens. We are charged simply to make disciples. That's our mission. A disciple is someone who is genuinely related to Jesus Christ and is an authentic follower of Him. But how do we do this? How do we make disciples? Well, Jesus gives a basic threefold strategy to making disciples. He says that we are to go 
and make disciples of all nations. Now, we tend to think of nations in terms of borders and flags and governments, but nations here refers to people everywhere. It refers to people in the world. So the idea is that if you live here, you're to make disciples here. If God moves you to another state, you're to make disciples there. If God moves you to another country, you are to make disciples in that country. The point is, wherever you are, be engaged in a local church and make disciples. The second strategy in the mission is that once people are saved, we're to help establish them in their commitment to Christ by telling the church to baptize disciples that we are making, Jesus is identifying the kind of disciples that we are to make. They're disciples who publicly identify with Christ and who submissively follow Him. The third strategy in the mission is to teach the disciples that we are making to observe all that Jesus has commanded. You see, a huge part of the mission involves the faithful and consistent teaching of the Scriptures, which is a large part of what we do here week after week. So our mission is to make disciples by going to them and baptizing them and then teaching them. And this mission is to continue until Jesus comes back. But what guarantee do we have that this will even work? Well, The success of the mission is the assurance that Jesus will be with us as we carry out that mission. He said in verse 20, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You want to be involved in something that God is in? Then invest your life in His mission. This involves investing our time. It involves investing our energy and our resources in what Jesus left us here to do. And this mission for Countryside will not change. So while there will be a lot of changes this year, changes in our lives, personally changes in our church corporately, These core values, God's glory, God's Word, God's Son, God's Spirit, God's people, God's gospel, and God's mission, these core values will not change. And to me, that is encouraging. Father, thank You for giving us all that we need for life and godliness. Thank You for Your grace, which has called us into Your family Thank you for the church. Thank you for the body of Christ, for the way you have designed it to minister to one another. Thank you for the scriptures that guide us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who empowers and enables us. Thank you so much, God, for giving us a mission to fulfill your will, to bring you glory while we are in this earth. Help us as a church to invest in this to see that this is something that is worth being part of. And for those who are here without Jesus, Lord, may they come to understand the truth that they, in Jesus Christ, can be made a new creation. That they would experience the spiritual transformation that happens when 
a dead sinner is regenerated and brought to life through the new birth. And would you be exalted as we as a church seek to implement these core values in all that we do. We pray in Christ's name for his glory. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand. And I think worship team is going to lead us in the song.